Well, hello, my homegirls. Okay, let's get into this podcast episode. I'm not gonna lie to you. This is our first high episode. Because, do you know what? I just smoked a J and then I was like, let's fucking record a podcast. I don't know. This is like, I've been a very kind of all over the place scatterbrain during the month of August, which has just disappeared before my very eyes. But you guys will be happy to know that I finally saw Boy Genius live. I finally saw them live. Ah! Twice, actually. So I saw them at Gunnersbury Park, which was what I bought tickets for months ago, and I was so excited. I saw them there. It was everything. And then I was like, no, I can't just see them once. Like, this, I need to see them again. So someone who followed me on Instagram was kind enough to sell me their ticket to see them at Kingston during their acoustic gig. So I went to that, and that was fucking phenomenal. Like, oh my god, I can't ah! It was so, so good. It was so intimate. It was like a 2,000-person capacity, and there was, like, basically no gap between the stage and the crowd. And I was like... I am perceiving three angels right now. So that was everything to me uh, because I have really waited like six years to see them live and I'm going to see them again when I'm in LA because I'm going to LA for two months. So (laughs) I am going to go and see them on Halloween and I am so fucking excited because I know they're going to disappear again. So I'm excited to be at their last show of their tour because I feel like I deserve to be there. Like, I've been a ride or die for them for a very long time. So I'll be super excited to see them. Um, I'm also seeing the 1975 whilst I'm in LA. So that will be very fun. I'm super nervous about going to LA. Um, So we're going to talk about that for a bit because this is probably like the scariest moment of my life right now. And... I'm not really feeling any kind of way about it yet. And I'm like, is it all going to like come and crash when I'm on the plane or like on my birthday or like whatever. But I am running away to LA exactly seven days after my 25th birthday. So on the 18th of September, I am out of here. I'm going to LA for two months and I really don't have a reason for going. Every time someone asks me, like, why are you going? Are you going for work? Are you going for blah, blah, blah? I'm like, no, I'm literally just going to go. And I feel like it also kind of really reinforced this narrative that obviously I already know is true. But, like, we are so accustomed to work being the controlling factor of our lives that when you go away, people's first response is, oh, you must be going away for work. There's no way you would be going away for your own pleasure, for your own freedom, for your own time that you've carved out in your own life, you know? And that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm literally going to LA with no fucking plan, which A, is nothing like me because I'm a Virgo, and B, is the only time I've ever done this. But yeah, I'm going to LA with no plan for two months, and I just want to feel something, like, find something, I don't know. I'm turning 25 next week, so, well, yeah, today is exactly a week before my 25th birthday, so I'm nervous about that. Um, I'm more nervous than normal because I'm not one to have, like, a birthday party. I've had one birthday party in my life, 
I don't enjoy the idea of all of that attention being on me on that day. It just makes me very uncomfortable. But I, this year, you know, like, have met such phenomenal friends. Um, and since I am going to go away for two months, I was like, let's just go down to the countryside and have a few drinks and stay the night and, you know, whatever, smoke a couple J's eat some cake, live, laugh, love. And I am 20, turning 25 and I feel like it is such a big year. Like I'm a quarter of the way into life. I'm officially allowed to say I'm having a quarter life crisis. Um, yeah, it just, it feels substantial, like 25. Like it feels like I'm closing a chapter there. Like, or maybe even a book. Like I feel like my first 25 years are enough for me to be like, I'm closing that book and starting a completely new one in the series. And I'm nervous, you know, I feel the pressures of being 25 and, you know, I still don't really know what I'm doing with my life and I feel like I never will, um, which is fine if that's like the path that my life needs to take, if that's how my life is meant to pan out that I just never figure it out, then so be it. The ride and the journey will be so worth it. But I don't know. I'm just like, I still am living at home, which is also a massive part of why I'm going to LA because I have never really been away from my parents ever in my entire life. Um, when I was living at uni for two years, I just could come home. It was so easy. Like I live in London and I went to university at Sussex, so it's like an hour and a half on the train home. Um, but going to LA, it's like we're in a different time zone, and I'm a 12 and a half hour flight away. If I want to get home at any given time, it'll be like a minimum of 500 pounds. So there is like so many things that will keep me in LA. And I think that that separation between me and everything I have at home, you know, like my parents, my room, like my, my coffee shops, like everything, that comfortability for me needs to be explored. I need to figure out a new way to be myself, um, and then hopefully come back and continue to live that way. And like, I don't know, it's, it's kind of tricky to explain because I didn't really have the idea to go to LA until this year, because I only went to LA for the first time last year. Um, but I've just been feeling kind of uninspired recently, and a lot of people have said, well, why don't you just go and move to New York? You've always wanted to live in New York, and I do want to live in New York, and I think I'll end up there, but I've never thought that I would live in LA, so while I'm young and while I have the money to do it, I feel like I should, but I'm also hoping to gain so much from the people in LA, like, a lot of the time when I go on holiday alone, which I do very frequently, I am not talking to anyone. Like, I don't care to socialise, you know? Like, I'm there to eat the food and see the views and experience the kind of non-social culture. <laughs> um, because I'm shy and I get really anxious speaking to new people and I think that's fine, you know? Like, I have some friends who can walk into any place or country and make friends immediately. Um, and I love that about them, but for me, I'm just very, like, I like to keep myself to myself, 
but living in LA for a while, I'm going to have to figure that out and leave my comfort zone. And I think that really is the biggest thing that I want to take away from going to LA. It's like, I want to, I want to know who I am when I'm uncomfortable. I want to know who I can be if the circumstances change. You know, I just want to know that there's more out there and I'll be okay when I discover that there's more out there. That would be peaceful to me and like bring me a lot of bliss and happiness. <laughs> okay, so another thing that I don't think I've told you guys about, <clears throat> well, at least on here, is that I got tickets for the Eras tour and I got one singular ticket. Like, one ticket, because I had a pre-sale code, um, and then by the time, like, I was done in the queue, there were only the £600 tickets left, and I was like, I love you, Taylor, I'm not paying £600. I think that's fucking ridiculous. Truly, I think that's disgusting, to charge people £600 for a concert. Um, but I, it's Taylor Swift, so I was like, I will pay £200 most. At most, sorry, um, to get a standing ticket. And then I kept refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. And then it was like, you're a bot. And then it kicked me up. And then there was a second pre-sale like a couple hours later. So I went on a run, listened to Midnight. And then I came home, logged into the pre-sale. And then there were no tickets. And I was like, okay, fine. Then two hours later, I went back onto the pre-sale. And there was one standing ticket left, like a front standing ticket left. And I bought it for the last London date of the Eras tour next year. So everybody can calm down. I will not be killing myself. I do have to survive until August um, of 2024. <laughs> but I am so excited. I'm so excited that Paramore is opening. I'm so excited to see Taylor Swift because I haven't seen her perform since 2012, which is like really, wow. Like 12 years, fucking hell. Um, but... It will be so fun. I'm kind of nervous about going to the Eras tour by myself. I went to the Boy Genius concert by myself and like met the sweetest people ever who were also fans of the 1975. So we were just like chilling and like got each other's Instagrams and I hope to see them at the 1975's next tour. But the Eras tour is a lot bigger than just, you know, 2,000 people in Kingston. So... I'm nervous. I've never been to Wembley by myself. Like, Wembley is fucking massive. Um, but I only got one ticket, so it is what it is. Maybe I'll find someone who also has the same ticket as me and we can go together. But I want to, like, dress up and I want to have fun and I want to, you know, do the whole thing and wear the sparkly boots and do the whole girly pop thing. But... I don't know, I think I'll be so nervous by myself. But I've got a year to overcome that anxiety, so I'm just going to keep hyping myself up for a bit. But yeah, I'm seeing Tay-Tay. I'm so fucking excited. Anyway, um, I've made a list of things that I need to, like, mention. So let's just go into TV and film. I still have not been reading. It's so bad. I know I'll get back into reading whilst I'm, like, on the flight to LA, because that is a long fucking flight. But I just never fucking read in summer. Like, I, oh, I just, it's not for me. So, yeah, no books. But TV, Jesus Christ, the Real Housewives are taking over my fucking life. So the law of me and the Real Housewives is that I watch 
the Royal Housewives of Salt Lake City on a flight from New York, and I was like, this is so good. And there was only three seasons of the Royal Housewives um, of Salt Lake City, so I was like, oh, this is, like, so fine, because, like, Beverly Hills is, like, what, fucking 20 seasons, and I was like, I don't want to watch 20 seasons to, like, be up to date. So I watched Royal Housewives of Salt Lake City, and then my phone, obviously, being the AI fucking freak that it is, must have realised that I was on my Bravo shit, and my entire Instagram and Twitter feed was filled with Scandal. So then I watched Vanderpump Rules, and then I was like, oh, love this, like, let me watch The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Then I watched The Real Housewives of Potomac, New York, Atlanta, and it just has really taken over my life. So I'm currently watching The Real Housewives of Atlanta, I'm on, like, season three, but Real Housewives of New York, I'm up to date. And I love the new season. So many people have been shitting on the new season and the new cast. I love them. Bryn is everything to me. And, you know, I did have a bit of a pick-me energy about me prior to getting into the Real Housewives of anything, because I never watched reality TV. It was always kind of my thing to be like, oh, I don't fuck with that. Like, I, to this day, haven't watched Love Island. I've watched one and a half episodes, because... I did an advert for one, um, and I watched the entire episode, and then the ad was it wasn't in it. It was on the night before, and I was like, "Okay, boo, never watching that again." But I also watched half of one episode on the first ever season of Love Island UK because everyone told me that I reminded them of Montana, and I was like, "Okay, whatever." So I watched half of it, and I was like, "Why would you say that to me?" Anyway. I never used to like reality TV. The Kardashians fucking fucked with my self-perception when I was, like, 12. So I stayed away from reality TV. And so many people talk about The Real Housewives. Even when I worked in an office, we would always talk about what everyone's watching. And it was either, like, The Kardashians or The Real Housewives. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Now I'm watching it. Oh, my God. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I It's like... I find it to be the best concept for reality TV because the housewives genuinely are clueless. And I fuck with that. Like, you can't be too self-aware on a reality TV show, you know? But these real housewives, they just, they, yeah, I don't really think they know what's going on. So it's quite nice to watch that and, you know, laugh about the struggles of people who are making a household income of five million a year. You know, it's just a fucking joke. But it's funny. So who doesn't want to laugh in the bleak times that we are living through? Talking of bleak times, has everyone seen Trump's mugshot? We should talk about that for one second because I'm going to be so real with you. I think him lying about his height and his weight was the realest thing he's ever done. He, I would do it too. Like, I, yeah, honestly, if I ever had my mugshot taken, I'd be like, 5'11". So it's like, 90 pounds. Thank you. Mwah, thank you. Thank you for believing me. It's like, if any of you have watched Reality, the film that came out this year with Sydney Sweeney, where she, like, lies on her driver's license or something about her weight, and she's like, 125 pounds? You guys flatter me. And he's like, uh, actually, that's what you told us you weighed. Um, so I'm just like, Trump was just trying to be like a little skinny legend in that moment, and that's the realest thing he ever did. Um, other than that, man's a fucking creep. Um, obviously. We all know how I feel about Trump, to be fair. Uh, he can run hell. But, 
talking of TV shows like I was, I have been watching The Samurai Temporary. Um, guys, are you still fucking Jeremiah fans? Like, let's unpack that. Because Jeremiah is so annoying. I mean, so is Belly, to be fair. But, like, Conrad is the one. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I've never been in love in my life. So, really and truly, I shouldn't be in a position to be talking or judging. So, we will be moving on very swiftly onto the films that I've watched. So, I watched um, Bama Rush. And if you don't know what Bama Rush is... You know, I was going to be funny and say congratulations. But actually, no, I think you should know what Bama Rush is. Because... It did initially start as a TikTok craze, and it was just the girly pops at the University of Alabama going through their sorority process. And it's very crazy. Like, sorority culture is insane, to me, at least, as someone who, like, literally did not leave my university bedroom once. Um, but yeah, the whole sorority thing is insane. But Bama Rush is basically this HBO, or sorry, Max documentary that really is like the inside scoop on what goes down and it was just fucking fascinating to me honestly like i i recently um have been using hbo max yes i do live in the uk the girls that get it get it i have a vpn um but i have been watching like hbo originals and stuff and firstly i'm not going to call it max you're a joke you're hbo but Secondly, I just feel like, why isn't HBO available in the UK? They have such good things on there, and they just, like, don't share that with the rest of us. I don't know, it feels kind of selfish. But anyway, back to the movies I've been watching. Um, oh my god, we haven't spoken about Barbenheimer, Jesus fucking Christ. That was, oh my, I haven't felt happiness like that in a while. Like, Barbenheimer Friday, what a fucking peak of summer, you know? July 21st, I think, was just a glorious day to be a girl. It was just a fascinating day to be a girl, honestly. Um, no, I wholeheartedly believe that um, Oppenheimer is going to win Best Film, um, rightfully so. But I would like every other Academy Award, besides the one that Emily Blunt is going to get, to go to the cast of Barbie. Uh, because Barbie personally changed me. It's just, I, like, I love Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig is my favourite director in the world. And also one of my favourite actors, one of my favourite writers. Um, I just, she inspires me every single day. Like, I wish I had a mind like Greta Gerwig. And I knew that she's the perfect person to do Barbie. There's no one who is actually going to understand the girlhood nostalgia of Barbie and the complexities that it brought to many of our lives. Like Greta Gerwig. And she fucking nailed it. And I cried my eyes out both times that I watched it. And... I actually cried at Oppenheimer too because I used to be an Emily Blunt stan and I just feel like she deserves the Oscar for this because her performance was, oh my god, I have no words, but she's proved time and time again that she has the talent. Um, but yeah, both of those films were amazing. I went to see Oppenheimer with my dad literally at like 10.45am at Screen on the Green, um, which is an everyman cinema, so you can like order food to your table and like order drinks and stuff. So let me know why I'm having a hot dog and a bottle of wine at 10.45am whilst watching a movie about a bomb. But it just made sense and everyone else was doing it and I was like, I fucking love this. Like, this is so fun. And then I went home, had a little quick change and then put on um, 
a pink two-piece like little co-ord set and went to meet like there was maybe 12 of us in the cinema all dressed in pink for Barbie and then obviously everybody else was also dressed in pink and we went to Electric Cinema in Notting Hill and they had a cocktail menu for Barbie it was just amazing and god I just love being a girl do you know what I mean I just love it anyway Barbenheim has been out for a while now and that shows how long I haven't recorded a podcast episode for but we will go through the films that I have been fucking with. So, oh my god, I watched Theatre Camp. Jesus Christ, I cried like a baby. Do you know what? I I am prone to crying. It is kind of just in my DNA at this point. Well, no, actually, neither of my parents cry, but I, I'm just a crier. But as a theatre kid, as a girl who spent her summers with other theatre kids, Theatre Camp is just the film for me. It's like... The best way I can explain it is when I was watching it, I was like, oh my god, I want everyone who has ever called Theatre Kids Losers to watch this film. And I was like, there are going to be two situations. They either watch it and they understand the emotional complexity of it, and they're like, okay, Theatre Kids aren't losers, they're just passionate. And we were too young to perceive passion as anything but being a fucking loser. Or they're going to be like, no, you're still a loser. And... I just feel like enough people would watch Theatre Camp and think that the actual kind of community that it brings is quite endearing. Like, as someone who went through the brutal life of, like, wanting to be a musical theatre star, I know that, like, your dance classes cannot be romanticised. Like, I have been body shamed in a dance class a million times, like, you know, I wouldn't sit here and be like, it's such a nice way of living, you know, it's brutal, but it's family, you know, like, it's, it it consumes so much of your life when you're that young, because it really is what you have, and it's such a big form of expression, and I feel like theatre camp really brought together, like, the goofiness of being a theatre kid, with just how much it means to be a theatre kid. And I'm making it sound like a cult, and in a way it is, but it's probably the nicest cult you could ever go to. It's just the best. Like, if I was someone who wanted to have kids, they would be theatre kids. Like, no questions fucking asked. They would be theatre kids. I think theatre shapes so much of your life. I mean, I always found it weird when schools would scrap art programmes first, because... I always thought the art program really lends itself to how we live our lives. Like, I knew that I was going to go to law school and still took theatre because I knew that being comfortable on a stage, being comfortable being somebody else, was an aid for me to be comfortable in a courtroom. Or it would be... Or an aid to make me comfortable in a classroom, you know, these are the parts of theatre that they don't really tell you about, how it really impacts the rest of your life, um, and I think theatre camp nailed it, I just, yeah, I loved it, I went with my dad, um, and he was a theatre kid, and he cried too, and I was like, I think this is, like, such a hug to theatre kids all over the world, it's just, I love it, I love, I just love that sense of community, you know, 
So I also recently watched No Hard Feelings with Jennifer Lawrence, which I absolutely fucking loved. Any film that Jennifer Lawrence is in is a smash immediately. So loved that. I watched You Hurt My Feelings, which is really wholesome. I love that kind of like slow paced film about nothing, but also kind of about everything. Um, and then I watched Carmen with Paul Mescal. Guys, okay, let's actually talk about this for just a minute, because I really am aware of the fact that, like, you know, the world and its wife is in love with Paul Mescal. Rightfully so. He's gorgeous. He is. Like, there's no denying it. He's a gorgeous man. He's very attractive. Um, I find that people who have watched his entire filmography tend to have watched it because they find him attractive. And I get that. Fine. You do you. But I haven't really found enough people to talk about the actual masterpiece that Paul Meskel is currently curating amongst his filmography. I am 100% inspired by this man's rise to fame. I am so in love with the film choices he's made. I think they make the perfect sense for him. And, like, even Carmen, my takeaway from that, besides it being such a wonderful film to watch, is that he really does go for the niche indie films that may not always be the ones that get the worldwide promotion. But he believes in it enough that it becomes a film that people are talking about. And that is power on a different level. For somebody so new to the game, that is power on a different level. And I think that, you know, it's so well-deserved because he is a phenomenal actor. And, like, I think I've seen everything he's been in, um, even including A Streetcar Named Desire. Um, but every single character he plays is completely different. And there isn't this kind of safety net that you get with a lot of actors where you're like, oh, I know the kind of character they always play, so I know that I'm going to like this film because I like that character. Going to see a film because Paul Meskel's in it, you never really know what you're going to get. And I like that. I actually love that. I love that he becomes a different person in every single movie he plays because it shows that he's a real actor. There are some actors where I'm like you are yourself in every single thing you do. So you're either a Nepo baby or you got this job because you're pretty. And that, I don't know, I don't really respect that. But to just do normal people and then, you know, do After Sun, do Carmen, be on the West End, have a fucking Oscar nomination, that is so much proof that this guy is, like, the next fucking Leonardo DiCaprio. Even though I personally do believe that Paul Mescal was a better actor than Leonardo DiCaprio, you understand what I mean when I say that Paul Mescal was the next one, as in, like, the household name that we all fawn over and wonder why they didn't get their first Oscar nomination as their first Oscar win, blah, blah, blah. You know, you get the drift. So anyway, sounded like a fucking cinephile right there. Um, I am, but you know. It's always, like, the stereotype of a cinephile. It's like, okay, we get it. You go to the cinema. Shut up now. We're talking about the fucking cinema. Um, so I'll be in LA when the Eras Tour movie comes out. Obviously, I want to go to the Eras Tour movie because 
that's my girl. Do you know, <laughs> that's my bestie. Um, so I tried to buy tickets on the AMC website because it's only coming out in the US. <laughs> Boring, but it won't let me because I have a UK credit card. So I'm kind of pissed because I feel like by the time I get to the US and I buy a ticket in person, it's going to be fucking sold out. And I want to go. Um, but I also really just want to go so I can see the Nicole Kidman advert. Guys, you don't understand. Like, no, you literally don't understand. Like, I need to see it so badly. Like, I will literally just buy a fucking cinema ticket to a film I've already seen. I don't care. I just need to see the Nicole Kidman advert. Like, I need to see it. Like, I just feel like I'm so out of the, the zeitgeist. I'm so out of the loop. Like, I want to see that fucking advert. So, yeah, hopefully I get a ticket for the Eras Tour movie. If not, whatever. I don't care anyway. Um, anyway, no, let's, let's get to some serious business for a second. <laughs> it's not serious at all. But I did say that I would speak about it in a podcast episode, and since I did smoke before this one, let's talk about it. So, it's gonna be very quick, because there's no profound reason behind this or anything. Like, it's just live, love, love. But people have been, like, just talking about smoking a lot more, blah, 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 like, you know, is everything okay? I have been smoking since I was 17, so since I was in sixth form. Um, and I'd say for the first, like, year, I would say, it's not working, I don't get it, it doesn't, I'm not feeling it, blah, blah, blah. And then for the second year... I was like, this shit is scary. I was like, I feel like I'm constantly hallucinating. Like, this is terrifying. So then it was just like a social thing and always during daytime because I was like, I'm so scared. And then I was like, if I'm so scared, why am I doing it? So then I stopped for ages. Um, And then I went to uni and was like, stoner central, actually. That is where all of my student loan went. <laughs> that is so bad. Anyway, um, no, it was just like, you know, it's, it's uni, and I went to Sussex, and, like, if you know anything about Sussex uni, it's, like, everyone's doing drugs, but, yeah, then I started smoking in uni, and I was, like, oh, this is, like, chill, and I was, like, mellow, and it was helping me sleep, because I've always really had a hard time sleeping, um, and it was the first thing that ever really helped me sleep, and I was getting, like, a full 10 hours if I just, like, had a little hit before bed, so then it really did just become, like, a nighttime aid, like, it wasn't, like, oh, like, smoke, get high and, like, chill, or, like, do anything, it was, like, taking a melatonin, you know, it was just to go to sleep, um, and then after that, it was, like, parties and stuff, but then I was, like, oh, my God, I'm just tired, like, I just want to go to bed, like, why would I smoke at a party, and then, what was it, what was the next catalyst, oh, then COVID happened, and then I was, like, oh, my God, I can't smoke at home, like, I'll be kicked out, so I got into edibles um and that changed the game for me because I like edibles a lot of my friends don't like edibles but I like edibles I kind of always know where I'm headed with an edible I know that a lot of the fear about edibles is like you don't know how much you've had you don't know when it's going to hit you you don't know if you should take more blah 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 and like once it's hit you you can't do anything about it I get those fears for me it's just kind of like nice to be hit all at the same time, um, and then I'm kind of, like, comatose anyway, like, I'll get, like, sativa gummies, 
rather than anything that's gonna pump me up a bit. Um, but yeah, so then I got into edibles and I was like, oh, this is fun. And I was like, oh, I can like still do things because it's like a mellow kind of high. And it was COVID, so like really and truly, what did I have to do? You know, like I wasn't doing anything. So I would like take an edible and go on like a five hour walk. <laughs> or like take an edible and clean my room. And I was like, oh, it's just like kind of mellowing out my brain a bit. Um, and then, yeah, after COVID, then I just start traveling more. And I think I did like Amsterdam, New York, LA, like three places where weed is legal. Um, and then was just like, oh, this is chill. Like it, it calms me down. I don't panic as much, like, helps me sleep, it helps me eat, it's like, you know, just a cool vibe, really, um, but, like, obviously not something that you should depend on, um, but I'm, like, a, a little bedtime Jay never hurt anyone, you know, but, no, I just think it's something that people should be talking about, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I used to be so embarrassed and, like, not tell anyone, which makes it feel like it's ten times worse than it actually is for you. But, yeah, I feel like, you know, when I was in L.A., for example, like, in a dispensary, everyone there is just so educated on it and everyone there is so, like, ready to help you find exactly what's going to work for you. And they're, like, so open to the idea of you not liking different things. And, you know, you don't really get that when you make it illegal because it's illegal, it's a crime, like, it's going through criminals, so, I just don't really understand why we won't legalise it here, but, yeah, I don't see the issue with it, I'm actually planning on going California sober when I go to LA, maybe not for the first week, because I'll be with my dad, and I know that he's like, we should taste wine, and we should go to Malibu, and, like, whatever, but when he leaves after, like, four days, he's just helping me move in, move in, um, then I'll probably go California sober because I cannot drink right now. Don't know what's been going on, but like two glasses and I'm projectile vomiting. Um, so it would just be easy to go California sober in California. If you don't know what California sober is, it's when you don't drink alcohol but you smoke weed. Um, like James Kennedy from <laughs> Vanderpump Rules. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the law behind it. It was never really like, this crazy thing. I remember once, though, when I was, like, 16, someone did offer me a joint, and I, like, read the Bible, because I was so scared of being Catholic. I was like, don't bring drugs near me. But look at us now. Hi in my childhood bedroom. <laughs> Live, love, love. <laughs> we'll leave it on that note, besties. I'm going to meet my friend Christina. Um, So I'm going to go get ready for that. And... Jesus Christ, the next time you hear from me, I'll be 25. Oh God, if that isn't depressing, I don't know what is.